Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. My name is Jeffrey Kaufman and it's my honour to be your moderator today. A couple of housekeeping matters before we begin. If you have a cell phone, please turn it off or on to vibrate. And just as a reminder, the uh, presentation is being recorded both by Shaw and audio for online later. As most of the regulars know, there is a basket in the middle of the table. In that basket you are to put $11 if you're going to eat. And please designate somebody at that table to be responsible for that money to make sure you have an equal number of eaters and money in the basket. What we're going to do is we're going to have uh, our presentation first for about 25 to 30 minutes. We will then break and have lunch. We'll talk about the subject matter. And then at 1 o'clock, we will move directly into questions. Our topic today is sexual violence and social media. What is cyber violence? And I think we're in for a, a, a very informative session. We have two speakers with us today from the city of Ottawa, or from Ottawa, Aaron Lee and Dylan Black. Aaron has a long-standing commitment to feminism and anti-racist and anti-oppression principles and ways of working. She's the executive director of an organization called Optiva, which is the Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women. She has experience in international, Canadian, and UK women's rights. She has a graduate degree in gender and development from the Institute of Development Studies in the UK. She's worked for the Association of Women's Rights and Development, Oxfam, Great Britain, UK Women's Budget Group, Canadians for Choice, and Status of Women Canada. Our second guest speaker, Dylan Black, is a gender non-conforming anti-violence advocate, feminist media maker meets social worker. Dylan is passionate about youth-centered initiatives and building capacity for community as a tool to educate and transform. Dylan is active in anti-violence work locally and sees anti-racist, anti-oppression and resiliency frameworks as a central context to the work they do. In the past, Dylan was on the National Youth Advisory Board for Sexual Health and HIV, partnered with the Native Youth Sexual Health Network, and currently is a project coordinator at the Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women. She's a board, uh, they're a board member of the Queer Mafia and studied social work with a double minor in Indigenous and Sexuality Studies at Carleton University. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm Lethbridge welcome to Aaron Lee and Dylan Black. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron, and this is Dylan. We're really, really pleased to be here. Thank you so much. So we wanted to make sure to start things off by acknowledging that we're on Blackfoot uh, territory and to recognize uh, the history of colonialism and neo-colonialism. And we want to give thanks. We want to give thanks to a bunch of folks. So we are here because of wonderful folks like the members of SACPA, the Office of the President at the University of Lethbridge, the University of Lethbridge New Media Department, ULFA Gender Equity and Diversity Committee, Women's Scholars Speaker Series, Campus Women's Center, PSAC Prairie Region, ALPERG, University of Lethbridge Student Union, Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We are overwhelmed by how many people 
invited us. It's amazing. Uh, we also want to recognize that yesterday was the launch of what's called the 16 Days of Activism to End Gender-Based Violence. That's a global uh, initiative that happens around the world. And in Canada, we are on the steering committee of events that happen across the country. And it's organized by Women in Security Canada, WIISCanada.org. So if you want to learn more about the 16 Days or other events that are happening, you can visit the website. If you are tweeters in the audience, feel free to live tweet this conversation. Uh, you can use the hashtag cyberviolence, 16 days, and our Twitter handle is at Octiva. And we also want to make sure that people feel comfortable in the space uh, for the conversation today, that we encourage a space where people feel like they can be themselves and where there's uh, no harassment or um, negative comments towards people. Great, so I think we'll go through this really quickly because our bios were read, but uh, I wanna make sure that everybody in the room meets my dog Zoe, cause she is my goddess and amazing. So that's a really important thing you should learn about me. And Dylan, do you wanna say a little bit extra about you? That I'm short, no. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I work at Octiva with Erin. Um, I'm currently coordinating the Cyber Violence Project. So basically, I'm out there working with young women in Ottawa, talking to them about these issues and seeing what is going on in their lives. So that's the first thing I want you to know, is that a lot of the information that we're going to be talking about is actually directly from young women themselves. And I also want you to know that um, Octiva, we were actually last time we were working on a project on sec cyber violence, no, sexual violence on uh, campuses in Ottawa, and we actually created a really awesome mobile application called the RISE app, and that was to help students kind of engage and help prevent sexual assault on their campuses. So that's kind of a couple of things I want you to know is that, you know, this is directed by young women, and that, you know, we have a history of being involved and in trying to figure out ways that technology can be used to help prevent violence. So I thought what we could do is start with a little bit more information about Octiva. So the Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women, we are a coalition of frontline service organizations in the city of Ottawa. Most of our members are working directly with women and their children who experience violence. So it includes community health and resource centers, the Ottawa Rape Crisis Center, uh, shelters. We also work in partnership with municipal organizations such as the Ottawa Police Service, or there's a group called Crime Prevention Ottawa. We work closely with the Ottawa Hospital. They have a sexual assault and partner abuse care program. So our members are incredibly busy responding to the overwhelming demand that exists in the city of Ottawa of women who experience violence. So as a coalition, what we do is come together to do public education and advocacy, and we also do prevention programming. So one of the aspects of prevention that we work on is the project with young women that Dylan leads, and we also have a prevention program to engage men in the prevention of violence against women. We really believe that men, most men, are not perpetrating violence, even though most violence that's perpetrated against women is by men. Most men aren't perpetrating it. Most men don't believe in violence against women. So through our program, Manifest Change, we're trying to engage men to shift from being among a silent majority to taking proactive steps to help challenge violence in their communities. Oh, and November is also an awareness raising campaign that we run called Shine the Light. So we try and turn the city purple. That's the heritage building uh, that we have the city light purple to mark that. Okay, so 
What is cyber violence? When we talk about cyber violence, what are we talking about? Well, we're going to talk about that over the next 25 minutes. But one of the main things that we want you to take away today is that when we hear things in the media, you know, we've heard about Retea Parsons, we hear about cyberbullying. What we don't often hear about is how cyber violence is often perpetration of sexual violence or violence against marginalized genders. It's not just bullying generically. It often is about policing's people gen policing people's gender, policing people's um, sexuality. And so that's a really important piece because we need to make sure that that visibility is there so that we can respond effectively to what's happening to young women and other people in an online context. I think another really key piece to know is that I'm not on social media. I do Twitter for Octiva. Apart from that, I, I feel like I can't manage social media. So I, I can't relate in the same ways that Dylan can, for example, to the many people that we work with in Ottawa. Um, but because of that, I think it's easy for adults like myself to think, well, you know, why don't you just delete your account? Why don't you just not go online? But for young people, online visibility, on, being online is the same as being in your real life. It's it's where you express your identity. It's where you learn to form your identity. It's where you build community. It's where you make connections. So it's a very facile response to say, just delete your account. We can't do that. We can't ask young people to do that. Nor can we, for example, in um, something called sexting, where somebody might take a picture of themselves, if young people are expressing themselves in terms of their political views, uh, making friendships, talking about, you know, issues they're having with their family. If they're expressing themselves in all these different online ways, why would sexuality be excluded from that? And so, again, how do we approach and engage with young people in a way that recognizes the importance of their engagement online, as well as challenges, violence they may experience, and really ensure that we're engaging with them in a non-judgmental way? One of the things that we really try and encourage parents to do is in an online context, there's a lot of messaging around stay safe. Don't do this. Don't do that. And really, it actually mirrors some of the messages that we give women in other contexts related to violence. So we often tell women, stay safe. Don't go out late at night. Don't wear that short skirt. Don't drink too much. All of that feeds into the idea that it's women's responsibility to stay safe rather, rather than violence should happen in the first place and our community's responsibility to prevent it from happening in the first place. We really need to shift that narrative and it does mimic itself in an online context. Um, so one of the things that we've learned through the UN is that 73% of women will be exposed to or experience some form of online violence. So the issue is big, and the impacts are as real and felt as if somebody experienced something in the quote-unquote real world. 95% of aggressive behavior, harassment, abusive language, and degrading images online are aimed at women. So when we talk about that sort of very gendered... Um, aspect of violence, how it's gender policing, we can see that through these examples. So I'm going to hand over to Dylan, who's going to explain more specifically some specific types of violence. Hello again. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so there's a lot to say about online violence. Um, 
honestly, like we could talk about this for hours. But so what I'm going to do is we're kind of going to go over the four different types of cyber violence that we kind of identified through talking with young women and doing research in Ottawa, as well as looking at what research is available out there. So, for example, I'm actually standing on my tippy toes. Okay. So, <laughs> so for example, um, the first category is called cyber and online harassment. So, cyber and online harassment is actually a huge category. I think there's about 20 different types of online harassment that young women and young people are experiencing online that um, are worth listening to, are worth taking a look at. So, these can be things from individual threats. Um, to, to online violence. They can come from people that you know. They can come from anonymous accounts. Um, they could be uh, over sustained periods of time. They could be kind of one-off instances. There's a lot of different aspects of online harassment that um, young people are facing. So this is actually um, the anatomy of an internet troll. Have you folks ever heard of internet trolls? No, they're, they're quite a huge issue. They're not like the cute little trolls that you saw in the 90s with the cool hair and the jewels in their bellies. They're, they're these folks online, and generally they're anonymous, but they're when people online are harassing people just for the sake of doing it for fun. So as you can see, this is kind of a, a bit more of a humorous way of approaching an internet troll. But, um, you know, they might decide that they would like to go online on Twitter, target a woman, and just start harassing her for no complete reason in order to get her to respond and the, the more that she's responding and engaging the more harassment they will do they will say anything they will find out where like where you live they will find out where you work they will go and harass your friends they will recruit their friends to come and harass you so not only are you being harassed by this one individual they actually uh, go and recruit their friends to harass you so you can have an onslaught of harassment uh, being experienced towards you by like hundreds of people on Twitter which is really awful so young women decide that once this is happening they, they need to get off the platform so um, for example, with Twitter, one thing that they didn't anticipate was the fact that harassment and violence would be a thing on their platform. So they thought Twitter would be a really great idea. It could be this platform where people can log into it. They can post messages out to the world. It'd be kind of like a public town hall kind of forum. But they didn't anticipate harassment and violence on the platform. So for the first time ever, uh, Twitter's shares are falling. So people are leaving the platform because of the experiences of violence. Um, there's other really huge issues regarding online harassment. Um, a lot of people think that's not that huge of a deal. Um, hate speech is a really big deal online. Uh, racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, there's a lot of issues with those particular things. Um, also as well as uh, this uh, new trend called doxing. So doxing is actually a form of cyber harassment. So for example, I have a friend in Toronto who blogs about women's issues and she's like she's pretty great. She has a, a pretty um, supportive following of people who read her blog. She also has a, a, a four-year-old son. Some men online decided that they weren't uh, they didn't agree with the things that she was saying regarding women's issues so they decided to hack into her personal information grab her personal information and post it online this is where blank lives this is where her son goes to school you should go and you know commit violence towards her you should bomb her house very um, significant death threats rape threats, those kinds of things. And this is actually becoming um, a huge issue. It's becoming a huge trend for when people don't agree with what women are saying online. This happened with a, a woman who actually spoke to the UN recently, uh, Anita Sarkeesian. What she decided to do, she was a gamer. She liked playing uh, you know, Nintendo and Mario and that kind of stuff. So she wanted to 
dissect the stereotypes about women in video games because as we know video games are very directed towards young men the culture is very sexist so she just wanted to kind of look at the different myths in video games so for example the the myth that in every video game you have to save the poor princess right so that's kind of a huge thing that we see in, in video games men who game did not like what she was saying they decided to take her information and post it online she was supposed to do a talk at a university in the states they actually had to cancel her talk because they were threatening to bomb the university because she was going to go talk about video games so there's a huge issue with that yeah, and they said, yeah, and exactly, they said, you know, if you if you let her talk, if you let this woman speak at your university about video games and women, um, it'll actually end up like another Polytechnic uh, massacre. So there's huge issues with the online harassment, and that's just, you know, two forms. There's about 20 other ones that I could easily tell you about, but those are kind of the more uh, common, prevalent, significant ones. And another issue that actually is... Uh, that we're experiencing a lot in the media that is gaining a lot of uh, media attention is the, the issue of non-consensual sharing of intimate in images. So a lot of adults are really concerned with uh, young women taking photos of themselves and them being shared online. We saw this with, as Erin was saying, the case of Retea Parsons. There's a young woman named Amanda Todd um, in the United States, uh, sorry, on the West Coast here, and she was bullied and also committed suicide because of some photos that were online. Um, there was a young woman in the United States that also experienced this type of harassment, and she also decided to take her life because of the cyber harassment that she was experiencing. And also we saw a huge case with this in terms of the uh, iCloud, iTunes celebrity photo leak. So actually Jennifer Lawrence was a target of this campaign. So people decided to hack into her, uh, her private data. So she had, I guess, private photos of herself uh, nude or engaging with you know boyfriends, that kind of stuff. And they decided to take those photos and post them online. So they took, and even though Jennifer Lawrence is like a high profile celebrity, she was kind of like, you know what, this isn't okay. And it's not okay for you to think that it's okay to just take a celebrity's photos, right? And she says, you know, just because I'm a public figure, just because I'm an actress, does not mean that I asked for this. It does not mean that it comes with the territory. It's my body and it should be my choice. And the fact that it's not my choice is absolutely disgusting. I can't believe that we even live in that kind of world. So she was really amazing because she decided to be outspoken about, about the fact that it's not the people's fault for taking photos of, of themselves and sharing them among trusted individuals. I think a lot of the times uh, at schools, with parents, uh, in communities, and in the work that we do, a lot of uh, the, the prevention strategies or the reactions to, to this issue, particularly in sexting, as Erin was talking about, um, is to kind of say to young women, well, don't take pictures, uh, don't engage online, don't, don't do that. What we should be really focusing on is, you know, why are the people who are accessing the, fo the photos distributing them? So there's a huge trend in the UK right now with young women and in high school, and they actually, um, you know, they're in dating relationships with their boyfriends, and a lot of the young women are having a hard time because they're kind of like, you know, I'm supposed to play all these different roles. They're like, I need to, you know, be a good girl, but I, I can't be too much of a good girl because then I'll be seen in a particular way. And then their boyfriends, they, they say, you know what, you have to send me photos of yourself. And they're kind of like, well, I'm not a good girlfriend if I don't send you a photo. And then the boys, they, they want these photos because they want to show them to their friends. They want them as trophies. They want them to, to say to their friends, like, hey, I'm cool. I can get a photo of my girlfriend nude. 
And, you know, if it's in a trusting relationship, that's fine. But the fact that they're sharing them with their friends is really problematic. The fact that, that that's required, there's an entitlement to those photos is a huge issue. And young women, they don't know what to do. So they're taking photos of themselves, but without their face. That's not good enough. Young men need their face because they need to prove that it's actually their girlfriends. And then what they're doing now is the young women are taking photos of, the, of themselves without their face, but they're actually writing across their chest the name of their boyfriends in lipstick. So these are the kind of, yeah, it's awful. These are the kinds of things that young women are kind of negotiating constantly. And we need to ensure that we're also teaching young men that you can't feel entitled to having those photos. If, if someone trusts you with those photos, you need to be able to, to hold on to those and, and to make it a consenting relationship. We need to teach young people the risk of those things, that they have informed decisions to make. You know, if they're taking these photos, they know what the risk is of those. You know, uh, one, one case was with some young people, they were talking about distributing photos, and they consented, and they both exchanged photos, and it was fine. The phone was lost or stolen at school. He didn't pass for protect the photos, and someone else had access to the photos and leaked them online. So it's not just even the, the individual behavior, it's the cultural piece. It's also um, teaching young people that, you know, distributing photos is, is not okay. So I think that's a huge issue, and we definitely need to be looking at it, but also from a perspective of, you know, it's not okay to distribute photos. It's, it's okay to take photos of yourself, but we need to teach people that it's not okay to just give those photos away without, like, uh, any risk or precautions. So the next issue that we also identified was the recording and distribution of sexual assault. So this um, is also a huge case. We did see this with the Retea Parsons case as well. Um, for example, she was at a party. Uh, she drank some alcohol. Um, she was uh, sexually assaulted by a few young men in her high school. They took photos of the incident, and then they went to school and started uh, sh passing them around to everyone at school. So not only was she sexually assaulted, they showed it to all their friends, and she was significantly bullied. She took her life, and the police did not do anything to investigate it. Later, this uh, hacking group called Anonymous, they decided that that was not enough, that the police did not respond in a, in a great way. So they actually uh, told the police that they had to respond. Um, they hacked some things, and they did this really awesome advocacy campa campaign, and the RCMP decided to reopen her case. And right now, um, a couple of young men were actually... Uh, recently held accountable and charged with, I believe, uh, I feel like it was production and possibly distribution of child pornography, pornography because they're adults now. But um, so we need to like, you know, we definitely need to make sure that um, when we're we're talking about these issues that you know, like recording someone without their consent is is really problematic. I think you had a case uh, like this in Calgary uh, over the summer where a young woman was engaging in some kind of sexual behaviors and someone took a video of her and put her on online and that was really problematic. So it's not necessarily the, the activities of the person doing it, but why are those people taking videos of that? Why are they posting it online? And how come they're not being held accountable for those actions? So that's a huge thing. That's Retea Parsons. Um, and the last kind of category that we identified is uh, cyber stalking and digital dating abuse. So when you experience online harassment and online violence in an in a intimate partner kind of context. So um, there's a lot of different applications and platforms out there that are being used and aimed at young women to per perpetrate violence in a relationship. So for example, this is, uh, this is a pretty terrible example, but if you want, you can actually go on Google and download an app called the Girlfriend Tracker. It's free, as you can see. And basically what it does is you can download that into your girlfriend's phone, you can access her GPS location, and you can monitor her every move. It's awful. There's also other types of applications that 
I, if I told you all the applications out there that are awful, like we would be here for a long time. But um, for example, there's applications where you can uh, download them. Uh, let's say if you, if Aaron and I are in a relationship and we break up and I'm harassing Aaron and she doesn't want to experience harassment anymore, she has the option to block me from her phone, which is fine. But if I'm, if I know that Aaron is best friends with Annalise, with, with you, yes. Um, if I know that she's best friends with Annalise, then I could be like, okay, I'm going to download this application and it'll take my number. It'll pretend it's your number and I can contact Erin and she'll think it's her best friend, but it's actually me and she'll actually pick up the phone. So there's ways to circumvent those. There's applications where you can share photos and you, it'll tell you that, you know, the photo can only be shown to the other person for 10 seconds. And then the person can take a screenshot of that and it will let me know, but I can download an application that will actually um, circumvent that and will not let you know if I took your picture. So there's a lot of different kind of applications out there. And while these applications are horrible and they should not exist, and we should definitely be kind of saying like, hey, like why are these allowed to be there? We should also be targeting places like Google, like the Apple and the iTunes store, like the Google store and saying, hey, like why are you letting, why are you letting these applications on your, on your, on your service? It's, it's a huge issue. We, we made an application at Octiva, and we know that you actually have to apply to put those applications on there. They need to approve them, right? So there's some kind of process that, they need to ha that needs to happen so that they make sure that these types of applications don't exist. And that also the, the, the platforms and the, the social media sites themselves have a responsibility to do something about the violence and harassment that exists on their spaces, if that makes any sense. So, yeah, so... That's just kind of a snapshot into kind of cyber violence um, in terms of kind of what we're seeing and what young, young women are saying. A couple of the messages that I would kind of say to you that young women want you to know is that, you know, we're really tired of cyberbullying. We, we think it's overused. We're not listening to it anymore. The message is not getting to us. We really think that it erases, you know, the gendered aspect of, of cyber violence. They also want you to know that it feels like a powder keg, the internet for young women. They think that at any given moment that anything can explode and they can make a mistake and it's, it's just affects their life forever. So they think that that's a huge problem. In the UK, there's a new policy with Google. It's called the right to forget. So you can actually go to Google and if there's a photo or something on the platform that you don't want to be there, you can actually ask Google to take it out of their, out of their search which is pretty amazing, but we don't have that same policy here in Canada. So if you want something off of the internet, it's really difficult to take it down. And we need to make it easier to take violence and sexual harassment and sexual assault off of the internet. Um, they also want you to know that surveillance should be approached as a problem and not a solution. It's not a solution that we keep monitoring young people. We need to trust young people, but we also need to give them the information that they need to kind of make better decisions about themselves and to also trust them because if a young person's online and they're experiencing violence, then if we don't trust them, they won't come to us when they need help. They won't come to us when it matters most. And then they become isolated, they experience mental health issues, and in, in some cases they end up taking their lives. And that's also on us. We need to make it a space so that young people can come to us. So those are kind of some of the messages that young women want you to know. Um, and yeah, so thank you for kind of listening to us. I don't know if Erin has anything else you want to say. Uh, sure. 
I think just to just to close, you know, the focus of the project has been on the experiences of young women and young people, but we know from working with our frontline service organizations that the incidence of cyber abuse in the context of intimate partner relationships is very high for adult women as well. This is not just something that are uh, is being perpetrated in the lives of young people. Uh, and I think, you know, we really need to think about prevention of violence and, and changing our culture to be, uh, you know, promoting equality and not undervaluing women. I think that violence against women is the most egregious and visible aspect of misogyny and patriarchy in Canadian society. Uh, but we know from frontline service providers, for example, that a Rogers home monitoring system, you know, you can see whether the kids got home safe and you can lock the door if you forgot to lock it when you left. But that tool can also be used by somebody perpetrating abuse. They can make sure that their wife is where she said she was going to be. Did she say she was going to be home at this time? Can I lock her in the house? So it's actually really scary when these different kinds of um, new technology services are available. And I think there's really obvious and egregious examples, like Dylan said, with the girlfriend tracker, but there's also things that were meant to be benign or helpful that actually can be turned around. And I think the incidence of cyber violence, it's not about the technology itself, it's about the perpetrators of violence and the culture. Being online is inherently not a bad thing. It is not inherently violent. It's how people are engaging in that context and how businesses actually profit from violence that we need to be challenging. But I think, I think that's everything. We really look forward to the lunch and then the questions and answers. Thank you so much.